Hi, my name's Samuel Finlay, and you're listening to the Aces Podcast. In this episode, I chat with Brianna Thompson. Brianna is a UOW graduate, completing a PhD at the Intelligent Polymer Research Institute. After spending time working in research in both Australia and abroad, Brianna is now living in New Zealand with a new career path as a medical student. We chat about her journey and more. So let's get to our conversation. So I'm chatting with Brianna Thompson today on the podcast. Brianna, thanks for joining me. No worries. So how's life in New Zealand? I know you guys have got stricter restrictions to us in Australia. Yep, we are on level four lockdown at the moment, which means don't leave the house except for um, to go to the hospital or to the supermarket. There's no food or anything open. But tonight, uh, takeaways will reopen and everyone's very excited. So you're getting takeaway late tonight? <laughs> uh, at 11.59 p.m. <laughs> no. Tomorrow night then, I guess. <laughs> Tomorrow night, yeah. <laughs> so how's uh, that sort of affected your work? Uh, well, it's been really interesting. So I'm in medical school here at the moment and um, I've been working in critical care, which means emergency department work. So it's been super interesting to see how the volume of patients have come through and the, the acuity of patients have come um, has changed over the lockdown period and how everything's kind of shifted. There's a lot less trauma when people are no longer mountain biking or driving cars. So um, it's very interesting to watch. I it's bet. a difficult time to be in though. Cool. We'll get to um, you know what you're doing right now a little bit later, but I want to go back to your PhD experience, um, which you did at UOW with ACES. Could you explain what you worked on in that, for that project? Yeah, my PhD was on the controlled release of neurotrophins from polypyrrole, and it was specifically to try and enhance the nerve cochlear implant interface. So I worked with the Bionic Ear Institute in um, Melbourne, um, not really with Cochlear, which is the company that actually has commercialized the cochlear implant. And we did, um, yeah, it was it was a great PhD. I was quite lucky. A lot of things worked for me, which I know isn't the case for <laughs> a lot of research. Um, yeah, so I got to spend some time down in Melbourne with our collaborators there for a couple of months. And, um, yeah, my supervisors in IPRI, which wasn't ACEs at the time because I'm that old, but uh, were Simon, Moulton and Gordon, of course. So what did you do for your undergraduate degree? I was I was a biologist, so I was one of the um, earlier biologists, I think, to to cr- cross over to the evil empire and do a, a PhD in IPRI or in chemistry. So my undergrad was at University of Wollongong as well, and it was a Bachelor of Biotechnology. How did you find that transition from your undergrad to your PhD? Uh, it was really good. So IPRI was a lot smaller at the time, and it was such a super friendly place filled with super helpful people. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really pleasant change. Biology, uh, was a bigger, (laughs) a bigger research area at the time, at the time. So I kind of went from this big intimidating group to a much smaller, friendlier group. Um, and people taught me a lot very quickly and yeah, it was, it was a great transition. And also I think um, I come from a long line of engineers and I think coming to that more engineering environment was a good thing for me. I liked it. I thrived. So did you always want to do a PhD when you were doing your undergraduate degree or was that something that sort of just presented itself when you finished your, your undergrad? Much more just presented itself. I think um, I just 
so it's ironic because my mum's a careers well was a careers advisor, but I just never really thought about what I was going to do. <laughs> and I knew I wanted to stay in Wollongong, and there's not much call for biotechnology at the time. wasn't much call for biotechnology in Wollongong outside of academia. Um, and also just kind of thought I wasn't finished learning, and uh, it's like what is it, 16 years later or something now, and I'm still not finished learning. So um, yeah, I, it was it was a great call for me because I enjoyed finding out things and I'm curious and yeah meeting people and all of the good things you get to do in a PhD yeah so life after a PhD so you finished your PhD and you stayed mm-hmm. with IPRI for um, a short period of time to work on a, a project there yeah I think it was like three months or something that was supposed to be just waiting for my I submitted my thesis and then started a couple of months work that was supposed to be just waiting for my thesis to come back but my thesis took forever I think one of the markers had some medical issues or something like that so it ended up being like 12 months or 15 months or something um but yeah so I did a short research project with Kerry and Gordon and that was on similar but different things to my PhD it was much more an electrical stimulation of cells rather than trying to try to do drug delivery to change how cells behaved and then you moved down to Melbourne to work at Monash worked with Doug McFarlane who obviously I met through um, IPRI conferences and things like that and um, oh, he's such a lovely man he's so great to work with and he's such a good thinker he was very a very good mentor for a little while um, <clears throat> so I was working on kind of biotechnological applications of ionic liquids with him and got my first experience writing up a grant and um, worked with the lovely chemistry group in Monash who are also a really great bunch of people who I miss all the time and yeah, but it was fairly short-lived because I <laughs> um, decided I wanted to live in Japan for a little while. Uh, yeah, so I think I did a bit over a year, maybe 15, 16 months in Monash. Okay, and then, you know, you mentioned Japan there. What did you go over to Japan for and what did you do in Japan? <laughs> I decided I was going to have a gap year after a year and a half nearly of postdocing, And so I went and taught English in Japan. So I worked in, um, there's a thing called the, Oh, gosh, what's it called? The JET program, um, where you teach English in schools, in high schools. And I went and taught science in English in some high schools in Japan. Right. And whereabouts were you in Japan? I was in uh, a town called Akashi, which is kind of between Kobe and Himeji. It's down in uh, the Kansai region. And my Japanese was okay at the time, and now it's just appalling. But, um, (laughs) yeah, it was – and that was also a great way to spend a gap year. (laughs) Were you almost tempted to, to extend that gap year a, a little bit so, longer? So tempted. I think about it all the time. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have. But um, I did. I really missed science. So one of the things I wanted to do with that gap year was think about if I actually did miss research or not. And um, and I did miss research, so I decided I wanted to come back and do some more science again. That's miss good. the cherry blossoms. <laughs> oh, I bet. It's beautiful over there, isn't it? It's so cool. It's such a nice place to live. People are lovely. I, I've only been in summer. I went sort of like the middle of the year a few years ago and it, it was beautiful. It was very hot. Oh, summer in Japan is the probably the worst time to visit. <laughs> it's so sweaty. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just because we got cheap flights. That's why we went then. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> but it was a great place to visit. I mean, I, I would, I'd like to go back in the cherry blossom season or even in winter and go snowboarding. Yes. Yeah, we, we did a snow season in Hakuba. It's super nice. Oh, I can imagine. That'd be that'd be amazing. Yeah. 
so you came back and then you came back to Wollongong. Is that right? Um, yep. So I was going to go and work with um, somebody who I'd met through IPRI. Her name uh, is Christina and she was from Rick Kaner's group in America. <clears throat> and um, she was working in a startup company and I was going to go and work for them. But the global financial crisis hit at about the same time and they lost some of their funding. Right. So I was coming back to Australia with the intention of getting my visa sorted out to move to America and work with their startup company. Um, but it all kind of fell apart as I was going through the visa application process. And I happened to run into Gordon uh, in a supermarket while I was in Australia trying to sort that out. And he realized I was back in the country and convinced me to come back to IPRI, which didn't take that much convincing, to be honest. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're yeah. getting a job while uh, shopping, doing the groceries. Yeah. Thank you, Kiraville whatever the little supermarket's called there. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think if, if you didn't run into Gordon there and, and then what do you think you would have done? I don't know. Maybe have a chat to Doug, go back to Melbourne. I probably would have had come and had a chat to Gordon at some point, <laughs> just a little bit later once I had, yeah. Uh, he found me early in the process of figuring out what I was going to do. Perfect timing Lucky for by me. the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah, it was couldn't have been, couldn't have worked out better. So you spent a couple of years then back at um, UOW as an associate research fellow. What were you doing um, then? So at that point, there are a few different bits and pieces. So it's kind of as you get further through your academic career, it's harder to say what you research really. <laughs> you sure. branch out into more and more little bits and pieces. But I was looking, I think I was mostly interested in how electrical stimulation was changing the behavior of cells. So we wanted to try and do some stem cell, stem cell things and just get an understanding of what was happening. Um, <clears throat> so like on a molecular level with cells, we're also still trying to develop some soft conductors and understand how cells worked. Cells grew in hydrogels and how if we could modify things in a 3D environment. And I had a couple of wonderful PhD students um, that I picked up throughout that stint at IPRI as well. Um, and some of them, one of them was looking at more fabrication techniques to do with wet spinning, Kati Sherma. And um, Rodrigo was looking at kind of 3D fabrication and trying to understand how nerves and muscles could grow in a 3D environment. Yeah. So then the next step for you was Singapore? Yep. So um, after a little while back at IPRI, um, I met my husband in IPRI and he got a wonderful job in Singapore that he really just couldn't turn down. So we moved to Singapore so he could have a, have a, his dream job for a while, which was in Nanyang Technological University. He, he was working in kind of sports science and sports materials development. Right. And I got a job working in um, tissue engineering and this was a strange one. So it was trying to do kind of dental and dental engineering but to develop a material for corneal implantation. <laughs> so it's a strange thing called the osteoodonto prosthesis or the OOKP, which is also known as the tooth in eye implant. And we were trying to come up with new ways to make a fake tooth to put into an eye for people who had who were completely blind because of um, corneal damage. So how is research in Singapore <clears throat> as opposed to you know Wollongong and Melbourne? Um, it is a different system. How was living in Singapore, you know, life outside of research? Uh, <laughs> challenging in some ways and amazing in others. Um, uh, honestly, we talk about the food that we miss in, from Singapore almost 
I think um, there is just nothing like the food culture in Singapore. <sighs> it was wonderful. So if you had to pick the food in Japan or the food in Singapore, which one are you uh, picking? Food in Singapore. Food in Singapore. I love the food in Japan, but like Singapore has everything, whereas Jap- Japan has Japanese food. Singapore has delicious Malaysian food, Indian food, like even kind of some high-end Western food outlets. And it's cheap and it's wonderful and it's smack you in the face flavor. Singapore every day. <laughs> I'll have to uh, go over. I've never been to Singapore, so I have to put that on the list just for the food. Uh, 100% Hawker Market Tour. Just do it. So you mentioned uh, leaving research and now you're over in New Zealand, I believe, as a medical student. You know, yep. can you talk about that that process of, you know, taking that leap and um, what you're up to today? Yeah, so I, um, while in Singapore, kind of went, you know what, I'm not actually enjoying research that much anymore. And so I decided that the part of my job that I'd always liked the most was some of the more and oh, I was also time to stop being very hands-on and start to just write grants, which I was just completely disinterested in. Um, I always enjoyed the, the hands-on lab aspect of science research, and it was time to probably stop that at the stage of my career that I was at. So I decided I liked the hands-on stuff and the clinical stuff, and I put them together and decided med school was the go for me. So made this massive spreadsheet of all of the um, English-speaking medical schools around the world to try and pick where we were going to go and ended up coming to the south of the South Island of New Zealand to Dunedin to attend Otago Medical School. And I'm currently in my final year of medical school now. Oh, wow. That's exciting. So almost there. Almost there. (laughs) Yeah, it's been four and a half years. So where, where were some of the other spots that you could have landed? So Italy has a couple of good English language medical schools. Um, probably might have ended up in Italy if they had actually organized their medical admissions test. I think the starting date for the semester was like six days away and they still hadn't done the entrance examination and I would have had to fly there from Singapore, find out if I'd passed the exam and start almost the next day. <laughs> That, I, I thought maybe that wasn't a good indicator that I was going to be a good fit for the Italian medical school system. <laughs> <laughs> um, Czech Republic has a couple of really good English language medical schools, which were a bit more affordable than some of the, I mean, UK and Ireland would obviously have been lovely, but the, we could have afforded the, the international student fees, I don't think. Um, yeah, so Czech Republic and Hungary were the, the other ones on the list, but I chickened out because I didn't think I'd either I'd be able to learn Czech or Hungarian well enough to actually practice in those countries. <laughs> Coming from you know that research background, someone who's done a PhD, you've you know PhDs you know also quite a long you know time spent doing the one thing and you know spending a lot of time studying. How do you think that sort of helped? Every so often I'm like, oh, it does not help at all. But right now we're doing a public health project where we're actually looking at how um, how the presentations through the Dunedin Public Hospital emergency department are changing. And I kind of look around at my colleagues and despite the fact that medicine is technically a science degree, we really learn no research skills whatsoever or any kind of data handling skills. And so there's definitely a, a fair bit of kind of technical skills in terms of understanding and critically appraising data and just any information that's given to us. Medicine should be about critical appraisal and knowing where the information that you're using to make decisions about patients comes from. Um, 
and it's not necessarily something that you pick up on the way through medical school, but I can kind of, I have a good background in that to fall back on, which is nice. There's also just a lot of people skills and life skills that I think you learn through a PhD, just, you know, showing up, (laughs) showing up on time. There's some, you know, some aspects of professionalism that I think you learn through a PhD and a postdoc that are just important life skills that are a part of every, every professional job. Um, and yeah, looking after yourself and knowing who you are a little bit, which I think you learn through a PhD, learning how you learn, learning how you work, learning how you procrastinate and trying to avoid those kinds of traps. So I think it's turned me into a much better learner. I can learn quite well and I pick things up quickly. Yeah. Medicine, what area would you like to eventually end up in? Oh, the golden question. That's like asking a PhD student when their thesis is going to be submitted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not a person who actually knows that. There's some of the some of my med school peers who have this burning desire and they know they want to be surgeons or some of them even know, you know, they want to be a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon. They're so, so niche. They know what they want to do. I have narrowed it down to probably not surgery because I am kind of old to be in med school and surgery surgery demands a lot of your life that, you know, my feet get sore when I stand for too long because <laughs> I'm old. No, um, so from, I, I, the, the things that, that make my brain really interested, the, the problem solving things and the, the data analysis things is uh, what appeals to me, which I think <laughs> is still a part of my science background. So I quite like internal medicine. I've really, really enjoyed emergency medicine. So ICU, anesthetics um, and ED. But who knows? I'll probably, you know, in four years, I'll be like, why did I ever think that? Clearly, I was always <laughs> going to be a GP and I might be a GP because they are really important people who do a lot of undifferentiated presentations and lots of problem solving. And that all appeals to me. So how about life outside of work? What, what are you interested in doing in your spare time? Obviously, now has been a little bit tougher to do, <laughs> do those type of things with all the restrictions. But um, yeah, what do you do in your downtime? Um, so Dunedin is a beautiful place to live, despite what everybody told me before I moved here. And I think that includes Gordon Wallace, who <laughs> was very disparaging of Dunedin before we came here. Um, it, there's a lot of, so I think we've got like 20 beaches within 20 minutes drive of, of this, of where we live. And they're all beautiful South Island beaches that you pretty much get to yourself. So we do a lot of time walking on beaches and walking up hills with our dog, um, and so somewhat crochet. like Wollongong. Uh, uh, yeah, no, not like Wollongong. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little bit like Wollongong, except colder. Yeah. <laughs> so bet. you have to jump her at all times and have an umbrella somewhere near you because you never know where it's going to start drizzling. But it's also um, it's it's a lot emptier. There's not so many people down here, so um, yeah, uh, kind of a rugged, <laughs> empty version of Wollongong. Something I've asked everyone that I've had on the podcast is about their morning routine or if there's anything that they do each day that helps them approach the day ahead. Is there something that, that you do every day or maybe a morning routine that you stick to? Um, my routine for about the last six months has been coffee. I bought myself a French press and I, I love it. So every morning I wake up and I smell my coffee and I take a few minutes and make my coffee. Um, otherwise... I'm, um, my mornings are so different because in med school you change your rotation every couple of weeks. So some, some days my mornings start at like 7am. I have to be in the hospital and those mornings very definitely roll out of bed, get clothes on, brush hair 
get into hospital and still be half asleep. <laughs> um, and other days when we don't start till eight or eight thirty, then I would ride my bike in. I've got a, a bought myself an electric bike because the the hills of Dunedin have defeated me. <laughs> so um, and they're, they're they're good days. The days you get to ride your bike in and kind of appreciate the fresh air around you before you get eaten by the hospital for another day. <laughs> if you weren't studying uh, medicine and not for research, what else do you think you, you'd be doing? What would be another career path? Hmm, let's see. So for the first few years of med school, I thought I might have gone in the wrong door because I was watching nurse practitioners and kind of going, oh, they get to do lots of really cool clinical still stuff, lots of hands-on stuff. Um, so maybe nurse practitioner or a nurse of some kind. Um, but sometimes I think my brain's a little bit too analytical for that as well. I want to, I want to understand why for everything, which is not a luxury they always get. Um, definitely not a baker. I've made the worst bread anyone's ever eaten <laughs> through this lockdown. Hmm. I don't know. Something involving making things. I like making things. Yeah. Maybe an engineer. I do think in an engineering way quite well, a lot. It's in the family line, isn't it? It is. Yeah. My brother <laughs> runs a 3D printer company and used to work in IPRI as well on the 3D printers. He's like a seventh generation engineer or something ridiculous. Just to sort of finish up, I just wanted to ask if you had maybe some advice for those who, you know, maybe want to do something different, but, you know, aren't really sure about taking that, that, hmm. that leap of faith, I guess. Yeah. Well, do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say don't, don't fall into the sunk cost fallacy, whatever it's called. Um, just because you've done something for a long time doesn't mean it's the only thing you can ever do. Well, thanks for the advice. And um, yeah, thanks for, <laughs> for jumping on the podcast. It's been nice to chat. Yeah, lovely to meet you and lovely to chat to you too. Thanks for listening to the ACES podcast and my chat with Brianna Thompson. To listen to more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. You can also find more information about ACES on our website, electromaterials.edu.au. On our website, you'll find links to the various social media platforms we're on. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Samuel Finlay. Until next time, thanks for listening.